So humble and happy. Humble and happy. Uh, is this biblical? Is this a biblical concept or is this something I'm making up? Let's look at a couple of verses in Philippians. And, and don't try to, j- just listen, because they're, they're scattered throughout Philippians. Uh, but Philippians 1.18 says, And because of this, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, Because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I continue to rejoice. So there he's talking about. Now, I know there's a difference between joy and happiness. Joy is an inner thing, a spiritual thing that's hard to describe that produces happiness. So happiness comes from being joyful, all right? And, and so happiness is a superficial thing. Joy is a very deep thing. But here, the Apostle Paul says, I rejoice and I continue to rejoice. Then in verse 20 of, of chapter 1, he says, I eagerly expect and hope. Well, those are joy terms. When you, Christmas, a kid that's expecting a, a, a present, they're joyful. I mean, they're happy. They're excited. All right? So there he's talking about joy as well. Then in chapter 2, verse 17, it says, But even as I'm being poured out as a drink offering, see, Paul was in prison when he wrote this. And he said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, as a sacrifice of service coming from your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So there it is again. There it is again. Philippians talking about joy, joy, rejoicing. All right. In um, chapter 3, verse 1, then he says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you to rejoice. So joy is rejoicing is you making up your mind. You're going to be joyful. I'm going to be joyful, even whenever things aren't going too well. I remember being in, in uh, this was a long time ago. <laughs> I was in school one Wednesday. It was raining. I was sitting in my car studying for a test, and uh, I just felt happy. And I thought, well, I don't know why I feel happy. I'm about to have this test. This shouldn't be. I shouldn't be happy right now. But I just felt like it was bubbling out of me, just joyful. The next Wednesday, sitting in my car in the same place, it was raining. I had a test, and I felt no joy. And I remember thinking, my circumstances haven't changed at all. I had joy one day, and I didn't have the joy the same time the next week. Have you ever experienced that before? That shows that joy comes from inside of you, not from your circumstances. You can have a really rotten life and be super joyful, or you can have a really good life and be really bummed out all the time, right? So joy comes from inside of you. It actually comes from God is where it comes from. That's where it comes from. So, but here's one, one, a couple of more scriptures in Philippians. Obviously, the theme in Philippians is about joy. Um, chapter uh, verse, chapter four, verse one. It says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." I will say it again, rejoice. All right. And then in verse ten, he says, "I rejoiced greatly in the Lord when at last uh, you renewed your concern for me." So here, Paul is talking about joy, joy, joy. So here's a question: What is the secret to joy? What is the secret to joy? Well, here I'm telling you, humble and happy. Because in in, um, chapter 2, Paul talks about humility. And it's the secret to joy. It's the secret to joy. In fact, I would say, I'll tell you this. Selfless humility equals personal joy. Selfless humility equals 
uh, equals uh, godly joy or personal joy. So a humble person is a joyful person. A prideful person is a very unhappy, miserable, <laughs> torn up person. All right. So let's start reading through Philippians 2. Now you can turn to it. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 3 and glean some things about humility and happiness, okay? Philippians 2, 3, I'm going to start reading. It, uh, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Value others above yourself. I'll never forget, I was reading about selfish ambition in James 3 once. This was a long time ago. And I was reading in James 3.14, it says, If you harbor bitter envy or selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. I remember I was just reading my Bible, and I read that, and I paused a second, and I said, check. I don't have any selfish ambition. I don't have any bitter, bitter, uh, bitter envy. And I went, kept on reading. A week later, I was in a worship service where God broke me down. <laughs> he broke me down, and he brought this verse right back into my mind, and he said, you have selfishness inside of you. And you see, I was blind to it. I was blind to my own selfishness. You can't see that you're selfish. Only God can reveal it to you. Selfishness blinds you. You're blind to it. Until an event, something happens in your life, God reveals it to you. Your eyes wide, come wide open. You say, I am the most selfish, self-centered, self-focused person in the whole wide world. Has that, not, has that happened to you before? It opens. If you're sitting in your seat right now and you're saying, I'm not a selfish person, you're blind. We're all the center of our own universe. We're all the center of our own universe. And when God opens our eyes and says, you are selfish, and then he becomes the center of your universe, everything changes and happiness starts flowing into you like you've never experienced before. So this was an eye-opening experience for me. But let me read Philippians 2.3 in a different version, the English extended version, I think it's called. But it says, um, when you do things, do not let selfishness, that means rivalry, selfish ambition, or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than yourselves. Now, when two people are bickering or fighting, what happens? It's all about you, 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 you know? My, my honor. What's, what's about my honor, my respect? The, what, it's, it's all about me. But when we take the step and we say, you know what? I'm going to start giving honor to someone more than myself. That's the first step towards freedom. That's the first step towards things really turning around. And so... Um, we need to find the incredible value in other people. Have you ever looked at someone else and you just admire them? You're like, that's incredible. They're, ab they're so talented. They're so amazing. And you're just looking at them. Now, sometimes you do that and you feel worse about yourself because you think, well, I don't have that. I wish I were like them. I wish. And you start comparing yourself. I'm not talking about doing that. I'm talking about looking at somebody and simply admiring how incredible they are. That's what this verse is talking about, is seeing 
the divine deposits that God drops into people. Somebody might be super athletic. We, Cole and I were at a flag football game yesterday. This kid on the opposite side was running all over our team. I mean, backwards and forwards. He was 10 times faster than any other kid out there. And he had all these moves and jukes and everything. He was absolutely amazing. And I was just sitting there admiring this kid. I wasn't mad at him. I wasn't, I wasn't upset that the team was just killed. They slaughtered us. What was it? 50 to 18 or something. I mean, it was miserable what was going on out there. But I was looking at this kid and thinking, that kid is phenomenal. He's absolutely amazing. We need to do that. We need to look at each other. I look at Don, and there's things that are just amazing about Don. And Don might look at himself and say, well, well, I don't know what that would be. You know, God has put greatness in you. Now, that greatness isn't to be worshipped. It isn't to puff you up. But see it in each other. Be amazed. And when you do that, you focus less on yourself because you're just impressed by everybody that you come into contact with. There's a person that does this better than anybody else in the world, and that's my mom. She sees the good in everybody, everywhere, and she is absolutely floored by what she sees. We all need to be more like my mom. (laughs) Right? All right, so... um, this is really a neat uh, a quote by Charles Edmund Montag, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Listen to this. There's no limit. Now, this is back in the 1800s, so his English is a little bit different. But there's no limit to what a man can do so long as he does not care a straw who gets the credit for it. <laughs> and there's a lot of coaches that, that quote this as well. You know, our team, if we won't take the credit for what we just did, but give the credit to someone else, there's no limit of what we can do. There's no limit. That's humility, is looking into others and seeing just the amazing. Don't look at the weaknesses. Look at the strengths, the positives, the incredible things. And so that's what Philippians 2.3 is saying. I'll read it again in view of all of what I just described. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself. Be impressed with people. Be impressed what God does in other people. Verse 4 Philippians 2, verse 4, let's read on. It says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. Now, this is where it gets really hard because I have certain self-interests. I have certain needs. I, I come to the end of my rope, all right, and I need a day off, and I can't help anybody. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm done. I felt that way a little bit yesterday. Towards the end of the day, I just crashed on my couch I closed my eyes and I just fell sound asleep and I couldn't help anybody yesterday. But most of the time, we have a little bit of something in our emotional tank to give somebody somewhere. And we need to be able to do that. We need to be able to do that. So it says, don't look at your own interests, but look at the interests of others. Now, where does that start? Who does that start with? That starts with you. You have to start that virtuous cycle of showing interest in someone else and not being so self-interested. It starts with me. It starts with you. Don't wait for someone else to do it and then you show them a little bit of interest. You be the first person. 
you be the first person to start that, that incredible virtuous cycle, as we call it, all right? People, you know, the problem here is the argument is if, if let's say, me and Kyle are not getting along, all right? He's my son. We're not getting along. And I decide, you know what? I'm going to be the one, the first step for him and show that I care about him, that I love him, even though he might irritate me. Thank goodness he doesn't. But let's say he, he is, and I, I say, you know what? I'm going to be the first to show interest in him and not be so self-focused. You know what the argument would be? Is what if Kyle starts taking advantage of my kindness? What if he starts, you know, he doesn't reciprocate what I just did, and it's all on my shoulders, and the relationship's all one-sided. We can't afford to use that excuse. We've got to take the first step. God took the first step towards us and took a chance. It, it was a gamble on us. We got to take our gambles as well. We got to put all the chips on the table as well and say, I'm going to be the first one to be humble in this relationship. And let's see what happens. I'm going to put my heart out there again, you know? And so we've got to be the first one to take that step. Humility starts with me today. I'm going to stop waiting for others to take the step. I'm going to take the first step. You say, well, I've already tried that. Try it again. You say, well, I've tried it 100 times. Do it 101 times. Don't ever give up on doing what God has called us to do. It will pay off. So I ran across this little book. It's like, I don't know, really super thin. I ordered it on Amazon for $4 and I got it. And I was like, that wasn't worth $4. It's like 17 pages long. It's just like a little, almost like a little pamphlet. But it was, it was really, really good. And the title of this book is called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness is read, written by this, this uh, pastor out of New York City, a Presbyterian guy named Tim Keller. I've been listening to him. He's been really, really blessing me. If you want to get a podcast or something and listen to it and be blessed by it, I'm telling you, this guy is something else. But, but he wrote this little book on self-forgetfulness, and there's not too many things from the book that stands out to me as much as the title itself, self forgetfulness, self-forgetfulness. And um, I'm going to read a quote from this book. He says, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself, but rather thinking of myself less. (laughs) Not thinking less of myself, but just thinking of myself less. Isn't that, isn't that freeing just in and of itself? I'm going to stop thinking about myself so much. And my hurts and my pain. And this didn't work out for me. And they did this to me. And they, we're going back to my flag football team, man. It, the refs were calling horrible. They were terrible calls, terrible calls. And, um, and inconsistent and whatever. And we finally took the kids and the head coach said, you know what, stop focusing on the bad calls and just play the game. And God has to do the same thing too. He pulls us off the field and says, you know what? Stop thinking about yourself and who wronged you and how hurt you are. Get back into the game and go for it. Thinking of ourselves less. I love that. Malachi 6, 8, it says, um, he has shown you, O man, O mortal, O woman, 
whoever you are, he has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to act justly, to love mercy, listen to this, to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. And you say, well, I am. I'm humble towards God. It's just my friend this gets on my nerves. <laughs> Let me tell you, here's, here's, a, here's an epiphany, all right? If you can't be humble towards people, you can't be humble towards God. It just, it just doesn't work. God has placed his creation around you to prove to yourself, to them, and to God that you can be humble towards God. We've got to be humble towards one another. In fact, it goes right into it in verse 5. Let, let, me, let me back up here before we go into verse 5. There's one other thing. I would, this has really been shocking to me. A hum, you can't be a humble person until you've been humiliated. The Bible says, you know, humble yourself. There's only so far a man or a woman can humble themselves. It takes a humiliating experience to really reach to the depths of humility that God wants us to get to. So what does that say? Well, you say, oh, good grief. That freaks me out. I'm going to have a humiliating experience and this bad thing's going to happen. No, that's not what I'm saying. Take your existing humiliating experience right now and humble yourself. All right? Take the very thing that just irritates you, annoys you, scrubs you like a sandpaper on a wound and say, you know what? I'm going to take that and I'm going to cooperate with God and I'm going to humble myself. You're saying, well, this is a horrible sermon. Everything's bad so far. We're going to get to the good side here. Just, just hear me out. All right? Let the humbling experience, the humiliating experiences humble you. But let's, let's look at verse 5. I was talking to you about, you know, we can't humble ourselves before God if we can't humble ourselves before people. Watch this. It says, in your relationships with one another, comma. <laughs> okay? From here on out, it's talking about not your relationship with God. It's talking about your relationships with one another. This is, this is amazing. It says, um, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ had or as Christ Jesus has. All right? So humility, as I've already said, has everything to do with interpersonal relationships. And I want you to stop right now and just think of that person that drives you crazy. It could be a person at work. It could be a person in your distant past, a memory of whatever, or at work, a friendship, who knows, whatever it is. Think of that, all right? And this verse applies to that relationship, all right? This verse, these set of verses apply just to that relationship. So in verse 6, it says, this is Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So you remember Jesus came in the flesh as a man, walked on this earth, did miracles on this earth, healed people, was crucified in the flesh, died, was raised in the flesh again, and then ascended into heaven. And during that whole period of time, he never once used his divinity to his own advantage. Not even one time. What did he use? He used his faith connection with his father to do everything he ever did. So you look at Jesus and say, I can't do that. Yes, he did it as a human because he used his faith connection with God to accomplish the things that he did. You and I, we have a faith connection with our God. 
And in fact, God calls faith, it's, it, the Bible says faith is worth more than gold. Why? It's your connection with God. As soon as you plug into God, good things start flowing to you. This joy, this happiness, this peace, strength, the ability to do things that you've never done before. In fact, the Bible says, whose weakness was turned into their strength. And I've seen that in my own life. The very weaknesses that I have now have become some of my very own strengths. Why? Because of the faith connection with God. You say, I want to be connected with God. Do it. He's opened up the connection. Go plug into him. <laughs> you say, how do I do that? Well, you're sitting in church right now. You're connected and connecting yourself to God right now. You open your Bible. You're connecting into God right then. You pray. You're connecting into God. It's a faith connection. Jesus did it. You can do it too. He gave us an example of how a human being can live their lives. And you're not looking for sinless perfection. You're looking for relationship with God. That's what you're looking for. But it says Jesus came as a humble person. He humbled himself. Your humility requires a faith connection with God. You can't be humble without being connected to God. You can't do it. It's impossible. You've got to be connected in faith to God in order to humble yourself. Otherwise, my inclination, your inclination is just to be self-centered. That's just the natural default that we go to. But with faith, we can actually be humbled and enjoy the happiness that comes with that humility. Verse 7 says, Rather, Jesus, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. <laughs> Ooh, that's a yucky word, servant, serve. <laughs> Jesus took on the form of a servant. What do servants do? What do you think servants do? They serve, all right? Where does, what's another word for serving? Service. What, what common word do we use in our society of service? Customer service, <laughs> right? You know what customer service uh, produces? Cold, hard cash. <laughs> you want to be rich? Serve. Now, there's some humanism for you, but that is the truth. Whoever serves the most is the one who makes the most money in life, believe it or not. They figured out a need, they filled a niche, and they serve. So servant is not a bad word. It's a blessed word. A blessed word. I'll tell you, some of the best memories in my mind come from good customer service. I went to Verizon once. I got a new phone. And you know, I don't know if, about you. I hate rebates. You know what a rebate is? Where they say, it costs you $200, but it has a $100 rebate. So it only costs you $100. And you're like, great. So you go buy it. And they give you a pack of 10 pages that you got to fill out to give that rebate, right? So I go in because of this rebate. I go into the store and, um, and the guy says, now there's a rebate on this. I know there's a rebate. What does this mean to me? He says, here, he pulls out the form. This is a guy that works at Verizon. He fills it all out for me. He pulls out an envelope. He sticks a piece of paper in the envelope. He seals the envelope. He puts a stamp on it. He says, here, all you have to do is put your address in, and it'll go out for you. Wow. That's some service, right? You know what? I'll never forget that service. 
It's a memory that's an indelibly imprinted on my brain was this service. Let me tell you another one. This was amazing. That guy was going places, by the way. That guy was going to rise up through the ranks of whatever company he worked for because he was service-oriented. All right? He was a servant. Jesus was a servant. All right? But listen to this, this one. I drive up to this auto place, this auto parts place. I'm parking in. I get out of my car. As I'm stepping out of my car, I see this man leave the, the it was like, I don't know, whatever auto shop it is. Anyways, he's walking out. He's coming across. He's obviously coming towards me, so I'm looking around. He walks right up to me, and he says, um, can I help you with anything? I haven't even walked into the store yet. And I said, well, yeah, I'm looking. I can't remember what it was, some little thing for auto, whatever. He says, well, here, let me walk into the store. I look at his badges, the manager. He walks me into the store. He walks me to the place where the thing is that I was needing to buy. He says, here's what you're looking for. I said, yeah, it is. He comes up to, there's two places to buy, two lines. He's got one, there's like two people waiting. He moves one person out of line to be second in the other line and takes my, says, he says, I hope you have a great day. That literally happened to me. I mean, I was in and out of that store in about 60 seconds with what I needed. It was just absolutely amazing. He served me. What if you and I, we got our eyes off of ourselves and we served? We would create impressions in memories and an example in people's minds that they would never, ever forget. Jesus came to serve. Service is a very practical thing that you can do day in and day out. And it, you know what? I'll tell you this. Service equals success. If you want to be successful in life, serve. And I'll tell you this. Go find something that nobody else is willing to do and do it. <laughs> and I try, I pray that my kids, I have four kids, I pray that my kids remember that from me that I was willing to do what nobody else was willing to do, or that I was willing to do what no one else could do. I always ask myself that at work as I'm doing stuff. Am I doing only what I can do? Because if someone else can do this, I need to train them to do it so that I am left doing only that which I can do. Either way, though, do what no one else is willing to do. God will make you the greatest success you could have ever dreamed of ever dreamed of. This crosses every industry, every type of job you could ever have. This is transformational. These are the people that succeed in life. And Jesus gave us an example. Jesus gave us an example. Just a couple more thoughts here. In verse 8, it says, Jesus was found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on the cross. And I'm going to give you some really neat scriptures on, on humbling ourselves, on, on being humble. All right? Uh, in 1 Samuel, you can jot these down. 1 Samuel 2.7. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. God is the one that humbles us. All right? So it's not your boss that humbled you. It wasn't that bad friendship that humbled you. God had his hands, his fingers in that event, and he brought you to a humble place so that you could start serving, so that you could start being happy. You weren't happy until you 
cooperated with God in that humbling circumstance. Happiness comes through those things. Look at this in Deuteronomy 8.2. I love this. It says, remember how the Lord led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years? See, there's 2 million Israelites going throughout the desert, led by God through Moses. He said, what? To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether you um, whether or not you would keep his commandments. You know what? You know how frustrating it is to be one day to the next and not know what tomorrow holds? You wish you had your plan mapped out for your life, and you wish you knew what was going to happen 10, 20 years from now. Maybe you don't wish you would have known. But anyways, we want to know the plan, but God only lets us see as far as our nose. And he says, I'll tell you what to do tomorrow when tomorrow comes. You know what that does to you? It humbles you because you don't know the plan. God knows the plan. You don't. So you just stay in the current step and take one step at a time. It says here, he humbled them through this experience. But he also says he did this in order to know what was in their heart. You know what? A humble person has an open heart. They don't have any defenses up. That's what you were saying. (laughs) They don't have defenses up. A humble person can't be hurt. Because there's no self left. They're just who they are. And I, we try to, I try to tell our youth, we tell this, be yourself. How can you be yourself? Be humble. A humble person can't get hurt because there's no self to hurt. They're gone. They're out of the picture. All right? And so we, a, 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 a person who doesn't have their defenses up, they're not on their guard, that's a humble person. And they're a very free person too. You can tell me bad things, throw rocks at me all day long. If I'm a humble person, it's not going to hurt me. Because there's nothing to hurt. There's no one to hurt. We need to get to that place. In Deuteronomy 8.16 is another scripture. He says, He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something that your ancestors had never known, to humble you and to test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. All right. Whenever you're living paycheck to paycheck, hand to mouth, you don't have anything in the bank. You know what God's doing? He's humbling you so that it may go well with you in the end, so that you can be the happiest person in the world. You hate that circumstance, but God's showing you. He's training you. He's getting you ready, and he will never leave you. He will never forsake you, and he will always provide for you. Isn't that wonderful? Just a couple more thoughts here. I'm not going to be able to say them all because we don't have enough time. Let let me just read on in verse 9, 10, and 11 of Philippians 2. It says, Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place. He gave him a name that was above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise God. You know what? The Bible says over and over again, Whoever is humbled, he will exalt. When you're lowly, he'll pick you up and he will honor you. He will show you the honor that you're looking for because you have cooperated with him in the process of humiliation. Look, look at this in 2 Chronicles 7, 7, 14. It says, if my people who recall my, my name will humble themselves. What does that mean? Can Christians be prideful? 
you better believe they can be prideful. I've seen it in the mirror, and I've seen it with other people. <laughs> Christians can definitely be self-centered uh, jerks. I mean, it's just to be honest and frank. But you know what? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, then they'll be able to pray. Then they'll be able to seek God. Then they'll be able to turn from their wicked, addictive, creepy ways. <laughs> All right? It, it takes humility. If you ever say, I have such a hard time praying, it's a humility issue. If you say, I have a hard time seeking God, I don't really care to go to church, it's a humility issue. If, you're, if you have a besetting sin that's just kicking your tail left and right, and you can't get rid of this bad attitude or this bad habit, you need to humble yourself. Cooperate with God in your humiliating circumstances, and you'll be amazed how freely you'll be able to pray, how freely you'll be able to seek God, how freely you'll be able to kick that habit that you've not been able to kick for years. God will help you through humiliation, through humility. Well, I can't read the rest of these. There's all kinds of good stuff, um, but I'm not going to read them. We don't have enough time. But look, look, we'll finish with this one last scripture. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. Let me tell you what. I want to be humble. <laughs> because I've found that I'm a lot happier when I'm, I'm humble. Way, way happier. If I'm, if I'm up on the pedestal of pride, I'm a moving target, man. <laughs> I could get knocked off and it's going to hurt. My ego is going to get bruised. And I'm going to hurt myself. But you know what? If I'm not on that pedestal, I can't get hurt. I don't have to defend myself. I'm free. I'm happy. I can be who God wants me to be. Let's bow our heads.